Whether it's bad planning, bad luck, bad timing, or bad inventions, well-intentioned bad decisions have plagued history for thousands of years. Welcome to Historic Hindsight. Hello and welcome to another episode of Historic Hindsight. I'm John, that's Tom, and today we're going to talk about Shia LaBeouf! Shia LaBeouf! I was I was once told when I was in high school and had an afro that I looked very much like Shia LaBeouf yeah, and he had an yeah. afro and he was doing the Holes movie. Yeah, he could have oh, been a doppelganger like 20 years oh, ago. Oh, Shia LaBeouf. You know, I, I'm willing, Shia, if you watch this, I am totally willing to help you with your career. I will be your stunt double. I will follow you around <laughs> to ensure that you don't get ridiculously drunk. And yeah, I think he yourself. probably already has people people doing or, that type of or, stuff for him. Well, they're not doing a very good job. <laughs> All right, so we're what actually, are we really talking yeah, about? Uh, the Battle of Shiloh, Johnny. It's one of our many Civil War battles that we're starting to slowly get around to doing. And okay. this one is, uh, it's a good one. It's a good All right, one. and it's so our, this takes place uh, during which portion of the Civil War? Is this at the beginning? Very of the early. This is, this, is, this is early. This is early Western War. Is it one of the first, like, big major battles, or is it, it just um, yeah, it, it, it's the sort of. first, one of the first largest battles uh, in, in the West. Yeah, it's, it's a very important battle, large battle. In the West, 1862. Okay, but so. how far west? Because west is different back in Civil uh, uh, Tennessee. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Just, so there's more no the confusion with people cur- expecting us to be yeah. in Colorado or Utah or something. This no, we're in Tennessee. Actual west. This is no. This is this is early this is colonial ten- west. Yeah. This is Tennessee. <laughs> okay, so we're we're. In, I assume Shiloh's the name of the. Yeah, the, it's also called the battle. Yeah, yes, it's also called the Battle of Pittsburgh Landing, and it's the first, like I said, large-scale engagement in the Western Theater. It will take place between April sixth and April seventh of eighteen sixty-two, when uh, a confusing Union Army of Tennessee clashes against the properly named Confederate Army of the Mississippi. So. Don't what, let Army that? of Tennessee confuse you about being a Union Army. Yeah, I was gonna. I, I it did though. I was gonna ask yeah. about that. Well, it's named the Army of the Tennessee because it's it's like its job is to to take the Tennessee <laughs> so, <laughs> to to go know. and conquer it. Yeah, not so it's, it should be the, where they're from. it should be the Army of, of of conquering Tennessee or something along <laughs> those lines to make it a little less confusing. Um, so the Army of Tennessee, Johnny, it's going to be led by uh, by none other than the U.S. Grant with forty four thousand eight hundred and ninety four men underneath his command. Okay, we're going to start this off our, our normal thing, Johnny. Can you guess his occupation? And I'll give you a civil hint. engineer. Well, that's the one thing that he wasn't. <laughs> Actually, I said guess anything and you probably get it right, but that's the one thing he wasn't. Uh, Johnny, he has a fail, uh, failed military career where he resigned in 1853 due to his drunkenness. Failed. Uh, he was, well, yeah, yeah, he's, failed. And he's, he was leading now. Yes. Well, in 1853, he was told by his, his uh, you know, superior officer, like, stop drinking or resign. Grant said, if my drinking becomes a problem, rest assured, I will resign. And like a month later, he gets caught it, it drunk. Was a problem. On duty, <laughs> so he had to resign. Yeah, real quick, he, it became a problem, bud. So that's yeah, why we were warning you about it. Like, we were telling you, it's already a problem. We weren't saying if it becomes one. It was already a problem. Next time you get caught, you're gone. So that's what Yep, happened. yep, yep. Uh, he's also a failed farmer where he builds a very ugly log cabin and couldn't keep it afloat, so whoopsies. He then becomes a mediocre businessman at his daddy's leather goods store because he's not so great on his own, so he goes to work for his daddy's company. He's, he's, well, he does okay. At least he did okay there instead of just driving that into the ground as well. Yeah, he does okay there, and then of course, you know, war is declared, and he decides, you know what? Time to dust off Time to dust off these officer bars and get back to work. Yeah, Where's he's like, my oh, whiskey? I'm gonna go back to the only thing I know how to do. Poorly. Poorly. Yeah, and I think he graduated like 30th out of 50th or something like that in his uh, at, at West Point. So it's not like right. he was top, even... Top 10 of the bottom half. Top, not bad. Top, yeah, top 10 of the bottom half. Yeah, there we go. Uh, the Army of Mississippi would be uh, would be uh, led by General Albert Sidney Johnson with 40,355 men. So one of the only uh, battles right at the start where it was pretty even... Uh, size-wise between the two armies. Yeah, usually it's like one is outnumbered two or three to one at least. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah, they yeah. have to, you know, try to defend or attack or whatever. So this is an uh, even battle at least. At the start, nice. yeah. At, at least on uh, at least on April sixth, it's, it's an even battle. Um, two days. Can you so. guess? <laughs> can you guess Johnston's uh, uh, occupation there, Johnny? Uh, farmer. Not nah, damn it, career military. Damn. 
Uh, he's a career military. He actually would wind up fighting for the Texas independence during the uh, Texan Revolution against the Mexico. He would fight in the Mexican-American War, and he would also fight in the Utah War, which if you're a regular hey. listener to us, you, you learned about that a while ago. So yeah, I've heard about that. That's where we fought about, you know, we fought the crazy Mormons. So, uh, so let's a little background information about the war, or not the war, but the battle here of Shiloh and how it happened. So the Union's overall strategy uh, for the entire war was the Anaconda Plan, where they would blockade the coastline and then uh, take over control of the Mississippi River, cutting the south in two, and then just kind of slowly strangling them from there. So as okay. opposed to taking large swaths of territory, their main goal was control the key points of entry and exit and just starve the Confederates out. Now, was this the the very initial, or was this after they realized it was going to be a bit longer of a no, this, war? No, this this was the very this so was from the even, beginning. Yeah, even from the beginning, they they were thinking about you know uh, starving them out, blockading them. They just didn't know it would take years. They they didn't realize that they had dirt that they could grow some food in if they had to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or hunt yeah. A, hunt a deer or something. So um. <laughs> The uh, with that plan, the first barrier to that is going to be pushing the uh, the dirty, dirty rebels uh, out of the Columbus, Kentucky, which is one of their strongholds that they have right at the start of the war. Now, Kentucky's independent um, and, and you know did not secede; still a part of the Union, um, and is what's called a border state. But the the Confederates do put a stronghold in Columbus, Kentucky, that the Union Army has to get uh, has to deal with, has to get rid of. And notice, I did say dirty rebels, and I'm sick of hearing about it in the comments. Yes. I'm wearing a blue uniform, guys. I am a northern propagandist. Deal with it. Whatever. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Speaking of, if you're watching this, go ahead and hit the subscribe button, hit the like button, and leave us a comment. We love to read them. Like uh, this one from DMAG. These guys suck. Yeah, appreciate so, it. <laughs> leave us a comment. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you think. I don't care. Uh, the uh, So the first uh, barrier was, like I said, Columbus, uh, Kentucky. And this was done in spectacular fashion when Grant would take Fort Henry and Fort Donaldson from the Dirty Rebels and demand their unconditional surrender, earning him the nickname Unconditional Surrender Grant. And this is where he becomes really popular and shows that he's actually one of the more, at least he has the cojones to fight the Dirty Rebels as opposed to just forming a great army and sitting there and waiting. Right. So I think that's great, and I think it's, you know, obviously a good thing he did. What a lame nickname, though. Unconditional Surrender Grant? It, it doesn't roll off the tongue very well. Well, he will eventually earn the nickname The Butcher Grant, uh, See, but that's, that, that's, that's a little better. bit later. It's better. Yeah, yeah that's a little bit later. Uh, with Kentucky out of the way, uh, who better to send on to the invasion of Tennessee? But you guess it, recently appointed Major General C.F. Smith, not Grant, who just took over all the wait, forts. Wait, wait, hold up. Except so Grant was, a me you know, he, he messed up, got a little drunk, but then he came back on his little round two and kicked some ass, and now... Yeah, you think, you like, think are, he'd be... Are yeah. they giving him a break? Like, hey, go rest uh, up, pal. Like, what... <laughs> So what, what happens is so what happens is Major General Henry Halleck, who's in command of the Department of Missouri, uh, he he doesn't really like Grant uh, all that much, and he says, "Petty little politics stuff." Yeah, petty little politics stuff. He says, "Grant, why don't you stay in Fort Henry?" Uh, but by March fourth, Grant was restored to full command after Lincoln spoke to Halleck and said, "Yeah, um, that guy knows you. He does. He fights. Yeah. You put him in. Yeah, you. Yes." It's Let's yes, use we want that, that guy. Let's use that valuable piece that we have instead <laughs> of putting it into a fort in Kentucky somewhere. Uh, so Grant was taken, uh, you know, was given command over the Army of Tennessee and was set up for the invasion of Tennessee River. Grant would leave Fort Hood and arrive in Savannah, Tennessee on March 14th, where he would uh, station five of his divisions at Pittsburgh Landing and the sixth division at Crump's Landing, which is a reserve, you know, it's in reserve about four okay. miles away from Pittsburgh Landing. At the same time, Halleck would send Major General Don Carlos Buell uh, and his Army of the Ohio, which is about 17,918 men, to Savannah to reinforce Grant. So the whole plan is these two large armies will you know, link up and then just, just obliterate and, Tennessee and take it. Yeah, and that's how you take things back. And that's how we take things back. Johnson plan, Confederate general, uh, is, uh, you know, in late March, Johnson and Grant's armies were numerically similar, so... Right. right up leading to the battle, they're about the same size. So Johnson knows that Buell, at some point, is going to be on his way to reinforce Grant. And as opposed to just letting Grant sit there and wait for reinforcements, Johnson's plan is, I'm going to uh, to quickly push Grant out of Tennessee before reinforcements arrive. Uh, to, Seems smart. 
to, which is smart, but to make matters worse, Johnson's army was ill-equipped. A large oh. part of his army was actually armed with guns uh, brought from home, including shotguns, uh, 1812 flintlock muskets, 1812 percussion conversions, Kentucky long rifles, hunting rifles, <laughs> and knives. Some so sticks too? Did they bring any that, rocks well, with them? They, they did. Full of rocks? Uh, they did, in fact, have several guys <laughs> carrying pikes. And I shit you not, <laughs> pikes. Those guys have had those waiting to use them for their entire lives. And they're like, oh, yes, we finally get to use our pikes. I'm going to put a so, head uh, on it. So, uh, although some regiments did actually get uh, get equipped with the newly newly found uh, uh, Enfield rifles from the dirty, dirty British, who were gladly selling guns to both sides. They were I like, mean, the English were like, I can't "Hey, you guys want guns? North, you want guns? Here's some Enfield muskets. Oh, South, you want some guns? Here's some Enfield muskets. We don't care. We're just making money." I mean, all right, but to be fair to Britain, if your kids come up to you and they're like, "Hey, I want to excommunicate." Uh, we're on our own peace, and then they start fighting with each other, and both of them want to just start buying stuff from you, yeah, sell it to them. To be Screw fair, them. pretty much every European nation was selling their junk to us because we were in desperate need of guns. I mean, the French were selling it, the Belgians were in on it, the Germans mm. were in on it. Everybody was kind of selling their crap to us because, well, we needed it, and we yeah, were buying it. Go ahead and fight it, yourselves. So. Don't fight us. This is great. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, Johnson's army was also less combat experienced than Grant's. Of Grant's 62 infantry regiments, 32 were actually combat experienced, and most of his artillery and cavalry that he did have was also combat veterans. So right. they're they're good to go. And Grant also had some pretty dope gunboats. So Oh, hell yeah. Gunboats. Go. Yeah, gunboats. I, I, I didn't know. I, I knew, like, so I imagine, like, on the river or something, this is mm -hmm. inland, uh, I knew that they had, like, ships and stuff, but I didn't realize... What, what kind of guns would they have on a gunboat of that size? Big, you know, big-ass cannons that are capable. Like, you know, be probably around 20-pound parrots, I would imagine. Uh, huh. Rifled guns that are, that, are, that are pretty good to All right. have, a, have a good punch home. And by 20-pound, I mean the, the bullet weighs 20 pounds. Right. The gun yes. is substantially yeah. heavier than that. I've learned that much anyway. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, Johnson's plan was to move quickly, hit Grant's left, uh, separating him from his gunboats and cutting him off from the river retreat, uh, thus hoping that there would be a, a, a full surrender of Grant's entire army. Yeah. Again, not necessarily yeah. a bad plan. I'm going to guess that didn't happen. Uh, well, we'll get you jumping the gun like always, Johnny. Uh, the battle was supposed to take place on the 4th of April, but heavy storms delayed the march, and men got lost in the woods, oh, literally shoot. like, go, where, where, are we? where are we? Like Huge how many? Because yeah, well, these not, are not armies like, marching yeah, through. Yeah, these are armies, though, right? so hundreds. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> On top of that, there were huge traffic jams as the roads were nothing but mud pits. So yeah. moving artillery, moving wagons was not very easy. So it took three days for the Army to move 23 miles. Oh, my gosh. That should have been done in a day. But yeah, that just that's... tells you how, how bad the road conditions were and how bad the weather was. Oh, and I'm guessing they're having to every 10 feet you know, get their wagons unstuck. From some muddy rut or hole or something in the in the yeah road. and all and the then, artillery pieces and all that stuff yeah, yeah. Oh, yep 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 God. yep uh, to make matters worse uh, their uh, their discipline was um <laughs> I mean wasn't 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 great and the army was given enough food for a five day march but um, they 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 ate it mm -hmm. all before yeah. that five days was expected once again once again. Uh, armies are made up of college-aged kids, uh, and especially in this one, very inexperienced college-aged kids. A lot of them yeah. are just like, hey, you know what? Yeah, I want to fight a dirty, dirty rebel, and they signed up. Or, yeah, I really like owning people, and then they signed up. But it's still, both sides, just a bunch of college-aged kids. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and so they're, they're running low on food already, and they only had basically enough food to have the march and have the battle and then go home. <laughs> and the the march already took three days longer than it was supposed right, to. Right. Yeah. So, so that you know, hurts. that's not done very well. It's the march is supposed to be done in silence, but uh, soldiers were proudly banging their drums, blasting bugle calls, and shooting their guns off because you know they're hungry and they're hey look a bird and and again boom eighteen to twenty five year olds. <laughs> Uh, multiple small skirmishes occur between both sides, with both sides taking prisoners, and uh, and on the fifth, the armies were actually less than three miles away from each other. So, are these small skirmishes are these just the people wandering about in the woods? 
lost uh, and then running into well, another group? Yeah, part, and then... yeah, partly, but it's also like, you know, the Union does have scouts out and the Confederate lines will put scouts out and advance their army's movements. Sure. And these are just the skirmishes are just scouts that happen okay. to run into each other. Gotcha. Second in command of the Army of the Mississippi was P.T. Beauregard, who tried to convince Johnston to call off the attack as surprise was surely gone. Like, at this point, we can't, like, they have to know we're here. Yeah. Like, we, yeah. we've, well, we've shot at them. We, we've so let that. them know. Yeah. And we popped <laughs> off guns killing birds and deer. And, uh, and <laughs> They've been and, alerted and, to our presence. And if you've ever, if you were ever in high school band, you know drummers can't not bang on shit so you got your drum line that's just doing its fucking thing and yeah. banging on everything all, like, they know we're here they they're have to drum they're having drum battles it's like the movie Drumline, 18 yeah yep 16, 1862 yeah. 62 there you go yeah. uh, <laughs> i got it so uh so so beauregard's trying to convince johnson not to attack and he says surely the union has to be entrenched at this point like they're, they're waiting, waiting for the reinforcements. For yeah. They have to be entrenched. We're going to go up against an army that's ready, ready to go. It's heavily defended. Um, Johnson said, "I don't care if they are defended. I will fight them." Quote, "If a million men were there." So, uh, I, I mean, is was yeah, he little, suicidal? Was it? I think did he's somebody little, check I, on this guy's mental health? He sounds I think depressed. A, I think he's a little ballsy at this point. Like, I don't think you want to tackle with a million men, especially when you guys have. They literally have muskets from the 1812 war. Flintlocks. Like, <laughs> flintlock muskets. <laughs> I mean, those, but, you know, they're accurate, so you get the first shot off, and, and you it's like a sniper rifle. You nail that first shot, right? Uh, no, and no, then, no, no, Then no, you no, have no, the no, time no. to reload. No, the, the, oh, flintlock, oh. the flintlock hunting rifles, the Kentucky long rifles, yes, those were accurate. Uh, the, 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 the 1812 muskets were smoothbores. Yeah, <laughs> not. Not accurate. But somehow, miraculously, the Union Army was neither fully aware of how close the enemy was, nor were they entrenched, because Grant felt his army needed more rifle practice and was used the time drilling his soldiers on, on accuracy, precision, rifle, rifle drills, as opposed to entrenching, because Grant is an offensive general. He is not a defensive-minded general, so his his strategy here right. is, 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 is attack first. So he's trying to prepare his troops for an offensive as opposed to uh, to digging in and waiting for his reinforcements. Right, that's fine. But So this there a, seems to be a, a theme of uh, generals being just blissfully unaware of what's going on right around them. We ran into the same thing in our Battle of Crater episode where they were digging tunnels underneath them. And they're like, uh, I think I heard some noises. And they're like, ah, no, it's fine. Don't worry about it. And then they blew them all up. It's like, uh, surely the enemy can't be possibly coming from there. But Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's just like, like this. this... It's, I don't know if it's arrogance, if it's overconfidence, or, or, or what exactly it is. This is a very, I like Grant, but there is really no excuse for his actions it's an leading up to this right? battle. Yeah, that, yeah, it's a massive an oversight. oversight. Yeah. On the morning of April 6th, in the early morning, uh, Johnson's army was uh, was formed and ready to go for their assault in the very the wee, the wee little early mornings before dawn. Always. Uh, miraculously, despite their uh, their bad noise discipline, Grant, like I said, was unaware that he was about to be attacked. Um he was afraid that he would provoke an attack by sending out uh, the scouts and uh, skirmishers, and he didn't want to provoke attack. He wanted to wait for Buell's men to come. And so that's so, why he uh, did. What? But that, so he so that's why he didn't know. So yeah. So he did not send out any. <laughs> he nah, didn't send nah, out. I don't want. I don't want warning of this. I want to be surprised. Yeah. Let him surprise so me. he didn't send out any patrols. He sent out no scouts. He had no vedettes, which are mounted sentries who would like. It's their job to be on horseback way in advance of the army yeah. and oh i see guys and then haul ass back to yeah. the front lines and be like hey hey they're, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're coming the british, the are, british coming. are coming the british are coming yeah uh, yeah all that fun stuff the dirty rebels are coming the dirty rebels are coming yep 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 which they might as well be british <laughs> just as bad <laughs> i mean we were the traitors with the british though yeah I guess we're the British. Runs in the blood. In any case. (laughs) Uh, He was also concentrating, like I said, on the rifle drill instead of having his men prepare defensive positions. So, uh, oops. He even wrote a letter to General Halleck on April 5th that said, I have scarcely the faintest idea of an attack being made upon us, but will be prepared with such uh, a thing to take place. So, um, no, you weren't. Yeah, but he's as... You were neither... You're right. You weren't aware, and you were not prepared either, though. You're lying. So this is like in Skyrim when you, like... 
get a bounty going on one of your your characters in one of those cities, and then you run into the town and you go to the training grounds, and they're all just like sitting there, like shooting their arrows at the things and doing their dummy stuff. This is what was happening. They were practicing their rifle shots, and then they got attacked, and they're like, "Oh, oh, what a surprise!" And then they're just yeah, they're obviously hosed. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> Grant and Sherman both thought an attack from the south would be unlikely, and so they were concentrating more on the west. So what little defensive positions were coming were sort of on the west but again they, they weren't digging in they weren't really preparing for anything right it was a in more fact, like this is where you might set up if we were to uh, prepare appropriately for this battle but we're not going to do that so just hang out in the tent yeah pretty much in fact a, a colonel jesse appler of the 53rd ohio infantry warned sherman and said uh, there is an impending attack coming from the south uh they're i they're there they're right there and sherman says and I quote, take your damned regiment back to Ohio. There are no Confederates closer than Corinth. But what, what kind, what, what, how do you, what kind of, how, why would you call him a liar? This guy is saying, I, I have information. And he's like, ah, no, I, I can hear it. I put my ear to the ground. I know there's no, <laughs> nobody. <laughs> You smell that? Yeah, there's nobody that close. I don't smell anything. And oh boy, and oh boy, was Sherman and Grant. Wrong, 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 wrong. Wrong, 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 wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. So there was an attack that this person (laughs) saw with their eyes and reported to their uh, uh, superior officers and then got uh, uh, ignored or made fun of or dismissed. That's great. Around uh, around 3 a.m., a Colonel Everett Peabody, concerned about the reports of Confederates near them, and of course hearing noises, sent a patrol of 250 men with the 25th Missouri and the 20th, or the 12th Michigan, uh, and they came across a patrol of Confederates who fled into the woods. Yeah. Around 5.15 a.m., they actually wind up engaging in a skirmish with them that would last about an hour, uh, which, uh, which gave the Union at least a little bit of time to go, something screwy's going on. Yeah, but Colonel. So uh, a Colonel, skirmish is that just a small miniature battle, or it's is like three hundred people popping off shots at three hundred people, blindly large, shooting yeah. and trying to get away? Yeah, pretty much. Um, a Peabody would actually be chastised for sending out a patrol because surely he must have provoked an attack, and right. uh, and that was a violation of Grant's order. Why did you send out a patrol? Like, yeah. You weren't supposed to go find the enemy. Stuff. Yeah, we didn't want to know where they were. We didn't, we didn't we did. want you to warn us. Have you about not been paying attention to my entire strategy for this? I want to be surprised. I haven't had a surprise birthday party in forty-eight years, and I need that. Well, he's about to get a surprise birthday party because, uh, well, uh, Johnson's army's on the way. But Johnson's army is also, like I said, not combat experienced, right. poorly equipped. They're not properly aligned for an assault. Uh, which reduces its effectiveness. I mean, go ahead Johnson, and say it. They're a bunch of yokels. They're a bunch of yokels. Uh, Johnson also has no real specific battle plan. He telegraphed President Davis, which is the Confederate president, uh, that uh, Polk will hit the Union on the left, Bragg's going to hit the Union on the center, and Hardy's going to hit them on the right, and we'll hold Breckenridge in reserve. He then told That's Breckenridge... That's It's sort of. We're just going to attack from all sides except for one. Yeah. Uh, he then told uh, he told Breckenridge to uh, deploy the men so he could lead the assault from the front, essentially putting Breckenridge in, in charge of the, the overall troop movement at this point. And Breckenridge thought to hell with Johnson's plans, and uh, and he Why wanted to send wave this? after yeah he wanted to send wave after wave to attack the Union line instead. Why do they do this? Like they don't have communication. You have to everybody has to be on the same page. You can't just leave the meeting and be like oh, I'm gonna go off and do whatever I want. Because screw that, because they're assuming, they have to assume that you're doing the thing that you were supposed to do. And when you don't do that thing, it kind of, especially plans that weren't made well anyway, it kind of ruins them. Well, it sure does. Um, So the Breckenridge plan of just throwing guys in and one after one after another (laughs) starts confusing units as they become like you get regiment, you get like the fourth Tennessee with the twelfth Maine, and they're all like, like, what the hell? What What are you guys doing here? And (laughs) and you can't, and you, and you definitely can't mix Mississippi boys with Louisiana boys. They don't like to play together very well, and they're now mixing and they're doing all kinds of squirrely things with the with the river rats, and we don't, you know what? (laughs) 
we gotta we gotta take a step back. So uh, the next battle plan here was to to make zones of responsibility. So basically, each commanding officer would be given a zone of responsibility. So oh, you're responsible that, for the yeah, left, yeah. you're responsible for the yeah, center. zone. Defense. Kind of going back yeah. going back to the original plan that was uh, that was there. By 7.30 in the morning, Beauregard is going to send Breckenridge. He's like, enough of your crap. So he sends Breckenridge and Polk uh, up into the front lines uh, and had Polk uh, and Hardy on the Union rights with Bragg in the center and Breckenridge on the Union left. So we've changed their positions around a little bit, but at least we now have some sense of where everybody's supposed to be on the battlefield. Right. People have some sort of direction and order as far as where to be, what to do. Exactly. Now, to, to fight the Confederates' crap plan and uh, equipment and, and green troops and, uh, and really confusing of what the hell they're even doing, right, the, yeah. Union, yeah, the Union troops do start to, uh, start to break and run for the river. Experienced troops do attempt on the Union side to defend where they can, but the majority of the Union line was being pushed and taking heavy casualties. Sherman, who, uh, who did not prepare his troops for battle, would actually redeem himself by rallying the lines, and he would be seen on multiple occasions riding right in the front line, like rallying his troops, directing them where to go with the battle. Right. He would get uh, wounded multiple occasions minor but he would be wounded on multiple occasions and have three horses shot out from under him at some point if i'm a horse and i see this guy coming like no i mean i i know the the saying is you got to get back up on that horse but i don't know after two yeah three three horses <laughs> shot out from under him <laughs> fool me once just just walk <laughs> but, yeah, fool me once shame on me uh, fool me twice i'm gonna stop getting on a horse and go into the front lines uh, Sherman would eventually get his line to stabilize around Shiloh Church by the by the mid morning, but the rest of the Union line was steadily being pushed back till about noon. Uh, now, um, at this point, as the Union troops are falling back and we're getting into Union camps, the Confederate troops are getting into Union camps. Several things start to happen. Confederate troops start to ditch their crappy flintlock muskets for the good Springfield guns that the Union guys have. Yep. You know, the rifle yep. guns are like ah, that's that's <laughs> a lot. That's a lot better. And they have bullets. Huh. What a novel idea. Uh, to make matters worse, though, uh, the the advance began to slow about 11 because, um, well, they're hungry. Uh-huh. And they're, they're now in the Union camps that were preparing the breakfast. Uh, mm. That's just sitting there smelling pretty good. The bacon's ready to go. Oh, you so, smell that? Uh, yeah. So they uh, they start to stop and, and raid the Union camps and uh, eat. So yes. that, yeah, that's, that's slowing do down it. their yeah, that's slowing down their advance. Turn into pretty a good. good old bacon raid. Now, when this battle kicks off, Grant is actually ten miles downriver at the start of the battle uh, with his reserve units of Lewis Wallace or Lou Wallace, sorry, uh, and he would rush back to Pittsburgh Landing and tell Lou Wallace, "Get your ass there, reinforce Sherman's uh, Sherman's flank." But Lewis is slow at moving out. He's not taking the river path. He's going overland. And by the time he gets down to where the battlefield is, uh, well, he's got a decision to make because where Sherman was isn't where Sherman is because Sherman's <laughs> retreated now from, from Shiloh Church. Bye. So he can either choose to hit the Confederates in their rear, which would have been the smart move, or he can say, nah, I'm not going to do that, and turn his army around and march to where Sherman is now, which is what he chooses to do. Uh, so, No, thank I you. want a fair head-to-head -head battle. Let's meet up and, and do it the <laughs> so, right way. So thank How you, Lou Wallace, for not helping at all this first day. So he won't, he won't really be involved in the battle at all until the next day. Spoiler, there's a next day. So I can't talk about the Battle of Shiloh without talking about Hornet's Nest, because if you ever learned about the Battle of Shiloh, you always hear about the Hornet's Nest. Apparently so I've never learned about the Battle of Shiloh. You've never learned about the Battle of Shiloh because you've never heard about the Hornet's Nest. But So the strongest defended position in the Union line was along a road, which is called the Sunken Road now. This road wasn't sunken. It's not, It's like it's a, it's a quarter of an inch lower than the ground. So it's not like it's in Fredericksburg where there's literally a sunken road behind right. a stone wall. No, no, it's no, no. Just, this is just a, a, this is just a paved road. It's a bad ditch. Uh, it's a bad ditch. <laughs> and, uh, and there's a field, you know, there's a field on opposite sides and this becomes the, the most, uh, defended heated contested zone of the battle. Uh, and it gets the nickname Hornet's Nest because, um, well, you kick it and you stir up a hornet's nest and people start shooting everything. High casualty zone. Uh, it is. Uh, it is believed that um, 
the Confederates would actually charge this position 8 to 14 times and be repulsed. So heavy, heavy casualties. Oh, man. That's a no thank you. So uh, General Benjamin uh, Prentice is the uh, first Union lines that actually get attacked at the start of the battle. He consolidates his command with the uh, at the Union Center at the Hornet's Nest with General William Wallace. Freedom! Not the same guy, though, because he actually goes by oh. W.H.L. Wallace, probably because he doesn't want to be confused for, you know, William Wallace and the whole freedom thing from the Scottish. But... Um, it, they consolidate their position on the center. Uh, from 9 a.m. for the next seven hours, Pre, uh, Prentice and Wallace are hit very, very hard with a valiant defense, and uh, and it's just repulse after repulse attack after repulse yeah. attack. Casualties are extremely high in the sector, and as the Union lines on their flanks retreat back, because the center is holding strong, but the yeah, flanks but aren't. They're pulling back. So every inch the flank gives exposes that center even right. more. Yeah, yeah, they're basically folding back into a circle and just leaving more and more surface area for the Confederates. And, and, and slowly the Confederates are surrounding the Hornet's Nest, but they're still holding strong. It actually takes uh, them being encircled for William Wallace to, uh, he'll wind up being mortally wounded when he tries to break out from the encirclement. He gets on his horse, he wears his blue makeup, and he says, it's our freedom yeah. day! Yeah, and he does his like big it. valiant speech, and he goes, and he gets shot and dies. Oh, but yeah, he gets shot and dies. And from the people who were circling him, yeah, they shot him. Yeah, and then that and that starts That's to hard to uh, see to that really, coming though. It starts to, when you take out one of the leaders, you start to confuse the whole thing, and uh, and several regiments start to surrender because they 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 are being surrounded. They don't know what because else. they watch some dude charge into a crowd that just shot him dead, and they're like, well, uh, the guess that's our <laughs> option. The, the oh, thank final, you. thank you. I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> the final nail in the coffin is uh, when the Confederate artillery under Brigadier General Daniel Ruggles, he's going to assemble 50 cannons, which to this date is the largest artillery pieces assembled in one spot ever in the All United right. States history up to this point. Uh, he's going to assemble those 50 guns, and he's going to bring them as close as he can to the lines and basically shoot into the Union lines at point blank with canister, just ripping them to shreds. So... Uh. Um, yeah, that, uh, that sounds unpleasant. No, thanks. I don't want to be there. After seven hours... How do uh, I of, surrender, uh, please? Yeah, right? <laughs> well, and after seven hours of, of, of defense, the uh, apprentice is like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. We're good. We're surrendering. He, uh, he's going to surrender the remaining 2,200 to 2,400 men. Um, but he did buy enough time for Grant to set up a new defensive position along Pittsburgh Landing, uh, which, is, which is north of the original positions. Um, around the same time as a surrender, an aide to General Johnson noticed General Johnson kind of looking a little pale, and he's kind of like slumped down in his saddle a little bit. And the aide looks yeah. at Johnson and says, dude, are you okay? Like, are you wounded? Did you get shot? Like, what's up, buddy? Yeah. And Johnson's like, yeah, I got shot in the leg a while ago. I think, it, I think it's, it's kind of bad. <laughs> So you think that blood the, loss might be getting bad in 1862? So, uh, <laughs> so he gets off the horse, and uh, he gets laid down next to a tree where the aide goes for a surgical uh, surgical help. But before oh. the surgeon's able to get there, Johnson has bled out. He was actually shot earlier in the morning in the leg, but didn't know how bad it was because the blood was just pouring into his boot. Yeah. And so nobody saw him bleeding. Nobody saw, like, it as bad, right. so nobody paid attention to it. And it wasn't until Johnson was like, on the verge of death through blood loss that uh see i thought they put him down next to a tree anything. because that was a tree he picked to be buried under because well, obviously they're not going to be able to do anything to save his life at this point no, like, yeah. and nobody, at no point even when it was and even when it was discovered that he was shot in the leg like nobody thought like put a put a tourniquet on it or something what no, the hell's a tourniquet no. Uh, you well, mean a saw? Damn it. You put a they saw on it? Well, they, they do know what a tourniquet is, but yes, they, <laughs> they would have just cut off his yeah, well, they just cut off his leg. Uh, Beauregard is going to wind up taking over command, uh, and he's in the rear of the Confederate line, so he is slow to gain word of A, his promotion, and B, what the hell's even going on. He's looking <laughs> at the battle from <laughs> the rear, a, trying to. What an awful it out. thing to find out in the middle of a battle. Oh, uh, yeah, you're in charge now of this mess. You're, Good you're luck. Promoted. Uh, you had no decisions. Up until this point, uh, but now you're going to have to live with what decisions were made and then 
make it better. So basically by 6 p.m., the Union line has a new defensive position around uh, uh, Pittsburgh Landing. Uh, Beauregard's now in command, and things start to slow down. Uh, the Confederates are a bit Running too preoccupied. Yeah, a bit, a bit too preoccupied eating and scavenging the battlefield for better guns and equipment. I mean, that's and, fair, uh, though. Which I, is I fair. don't blame No, him. that's fair. No, I don't blame them either. Find, find and, the union, equipment. and the Union is now going, hey, these we should probably dig in. <laughs> or, or form some kind of defensive position or do something. Uh, hey, guys, I've I've gotten all my practice shots in on the range. Uh, do we want to start preparing for this battle that's going to happen, oh, uh, 18 hours ago? Now, you'd think this would be the perfect time since the battle kind of petered out to uh, to get some rest and relax a little bit before what is inevitably going to be another battle. Although, to be fair, all the battles we've talked about up to this point, when this happens to the Union and they get pushed, usually that means the battle's over and the Union's just going to go and retreat. Um, right. But we do have Grant who, who who's leading, so that, that might not happen. So he's so, like, I want to keep going, we're going to... Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I like to fight. You, you would, you would still think <laughs> it would be time to rest, but instead, what happens is a, a thunderstorm is going to decide to roll in at eleven o'clock mm, at night, mm-hmm. and uh, and just soak and keep everybody awake with noise. Plus, the Union gunboats are really excited about their their cannons, and they're just going to bombard the shit out of the Confederate positions all night long. So, in the middle, just just firing off cannons into wherever the hell they might like, be. Yeah, and, and find you know, a, find you know a it's dark, so yeah, <laughs> you, you know it's land. dark, so they're not really, they're just like, ah! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> blind, blind shooting. <laughs> Maybe we'll hit some. I bet you know, a couple of deer probably got hit, but I, oh, I can't. Man. Can like, you imagine no being a squirrel in a tree, and you're just sitting there in your little nest or whatever, all of a sudden a 20-pound ball comes ripping through <laughs> your whole entire your life? Now, over the course of the night, the Union Army is being re- reinforced. Uh, uh, we have Lou Wallace, who does arrive, and we have, well, Buell's Army of Ohio with its 17,000 hey. men coming in. So we've got fresh troops. Guys, we Lou made it. Wallace, and they're all there ready to, you know, they're reinforcing. So the Union Union Army starts out about 40,000. We get we get some good heavy casualties, so they're probably down to more like a 30,000 effective fighting force at this point. But, hell, they just got 20,000 new men, so... Back up to 50, 55 maybe. Who knows? We're good. The Confederates, on the other hand, well, they're not reinforced. They're not given new supplies. Well, they took some new supplies, though. They took some new supplies. They did. But they're not, like, actually getting a shipment of ammunition. (laughs) They're not getting cases of supplies and cases of bullets. They're not being reinforced. So that's not good for them. No. They're also not getting new troops. And so they're... uh, their effective fighting force is down to about 28,000 now. I mean, they, they just they, because, they're the um, come with what brung you type. Uh, because <laughs> not, only, uh, not only did they suffer casualties and suffered heavy casualties, they've also lost people. Like, people have gotten lost just in gone. the woods. In the woods? Other people just left. They, well, like, we don't know what the hell's going on. Well, so and everybody knows to... that, that bears were much more prevalent. They probably lost at least half those people <laughs> to, to bear attacks. To bears. Um so the night of the 6th, most of the Confederate army was camped in previous Union camps. So they're like, hey, look, the tents are already set up. We'll just we'll just hang out here. Hey, it's kind of well, like what, what we did do. when we found the country. Uh, and they, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, Johnny. They, uh, so they set up in the camps of uh, Sherman and Prentice, the, the former camps there. Uh, but they don't bother setting up a formal battle line because Johnson, well, not Johnson, but uh, 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 Beauregard, his idea is that he's just going to do a full scale. He's just going to continue from what, you know, keep on charging. Full, full scale assault the next morning. So he doesn't bother putting up any defenses. He doesn't bother coming up with a solid defensive line himself. He just says, hey, guys. You know, bushwhack where you can. Uh, we're, we're we'll get up going in the after we'll, it. We'll continue the attack tomorrow morning. The most Union generals, as I, I said at this point, would have been spending the night retreating. But Grant says, "Uh-uh, I got reinforcements. <laughs> love fighting. I love fighting. <laughs> uh, what we're gonna do? I got a great battle plan for you. It's a brilliant battle plan. Here's what we're gonna do. Everybody, we're gonna pick up our guns and we're just gonna we're just gonna we're gonna we're gonna go forward." Just yeah. go for it. So everybody on the entire line go forward shooty shooty bang bang the bad guys so on the morning of april 7th grant orders an all-out assault now grant and buell's armies are still maintain like grant's overall of 
you know, the Army of Tennessee, Buell's overall of the Army of Ohio, and they're not really coordinating with each other. But they at least agree, like, we're just going to go forward. Just shoot whatever's in front of us. Shoot the bad guy. So they're not really coordinated beyond the divisional level, but eh, screw it. At 5.30 in the morning, fighting kicks off with basically an all-out assault on the Confederate lines who are caught very ill-prepared and not ready for the Union. You guys can actually attack? <laughs> guys, we were, what is this? We were going to start this in an hour. We were going to do the same thing. You're early. <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, they have no real organization beyond the brigade level, and there was no real unit cohesion because the Louisiana boys got in it with the Mississippi boys again, mm-hmm. and they were doing all kinds of crazy things to pigs, and, and we don't, you know, they're just a little bit preoccupied. <laughs> in fact, it takes two hours for Beauregard to find General Polk and get his men from the reserves, like, up, get, get! Get back! Get back! Yeah. They're attacking us! We gotta go! We <laughs> they, need they have you! Guns. They have guns! They have... <laughs> By mid-morning, General Crittenden has actually retaken the hornet's nest, so... Pew, pew, pew! Union! Alright. Got it back. Uh, briefly, the Confederates are going to counterattack near Shiloh Church and push back the Union assault, but uh, ultimately it's going to be outflanked by Grant's counter, 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 counterattacks. Right, yeah. So, uh... So, you know, there's that. Grant himself would actually come under heavy fire while riding from flank to flank, checking the lines. Grant's, you know, leading from the front as much as he can and actually winds up getting shot at. Although his ponies are safe. He doesn't he doesn't get any horses shot out. From well, that's lucky. Probably because they're a bunch of, using a bunch of a smooth bore uh, muzzle muskets. loaders uh, and muskets or whatever to to fire at him. And so it's just yeah. a bunch of bu- bunch of shrapnel going over the head or into the dirt 20 feet in front of him. Pretty much. Uh, by early morning, Beauregard has realized that he's lost the initiative and has already lost over 10,000 men and has little to no ammunition left. And he's also out of food. <laughs> there it is. Um, Lack so of he says, all right, guys, um, we're going to get the hell out of here. because guess, um, guess we're done. <laughs> what are you going to do? This is uh this is the Atlanta Falcons in the Super Bowl, like starting off the first <laughs> half, 21 points up. Yeah, hell and yeah, then we got this, quickly, guys. Quickly oh, in the second half, realizing, oh, hey, there's still, there's I gotta, still a whole I gotta keep going. There's, yeah, we're only halfway done, and uh, the, the points that I scored aren't going to be enough? Are you sure? Well, they, they, they sure weren't. Uh, we, we wouldn't uh, want to play any defense right now, maybe, and dig in, would we? <laughs> no, Beauregard is going to put Breckenridge with 5,000 men in, in command to cover the retreat of the army. Uh, Breckenridge would hold his position till about 5 p.m. in the afternoon where he's going to withdraw his forces himself. Exhausted, the Union troops don't pursue beyond their original positions of the 5th. So basically they take over all the lost ground and say, yeah, man, I'm tired. Well, that's, uh, that's good enough. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm tired. I think I want to go home now. Home now. I'm pretty tired. I think I'll go home now. <laughs> and they do. On well, April, yeah, so this whole thing was for like no, yeah, nothing happened, no... right? Like this was just. This is a this is a union victory, but I right, mean, but nothing. They didn't gain anything. Nothing. No gain, no, no. This is pretty much every battle that has, we've talked about so far. Like, yeah, it's just no gain, no gain. You know, no ground gained and no ground really lost. And everybody shot at each at each other until they got to a point, and then they're like, ah, "Should we keep going and maybe try to take more?" And they're like, no. Twenty thousand casualties. <laughs> you don't understand how this how this works here. We just we just shoot at each other until somebody um, runs out uh, of ammo, and then we're done. This is just a fun little history fact for uh, for all you uh, all you racists out there. On April eighth, Grant is going to send Sherman along uh, the Corn- Corinth Road to make sure that uh, you'll get there. Hold on a second, Johnny. He's going to send Sherman along the Corinth Road to make sure the Confederates have actually retreated and not just withdrawn and like regrouped for a counter. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure they're not going to come back. Make sure they're not going to pull a Grant on them. You know, you don't want that. Uh, this led to a skirmish called the, the Fallen Timbers, where Confederate General Nathan Bedford Forrest, future... From Savannah, Georgia, apparently. Nathan <laughs> the way Bedford that off you, Forrest. I don't know where he's from, but he, Nathan Bedford Forrest, future Grand Wizard of the KKK. 
It's where I said the <laughs> future Grand Wizard. So he, uh, he's, he's got some. KKK doesn't exist yet. KKK, yeah, KKK doesn't exist yet. Yeah, right, right. Gonna, because KKK was just literally your white America at this point. It was yeah, just... right. Yeah, this is just the South. <laughs> it's just the South. Um, Bedford Forest, uh, with your little, uh, with your little, uh, I'm tired. I'm gonna go home now. Your Forrest Gump yeah, reference. Yeah, That's yeah. why I'm bringing this up. Is uh, is Forrest Gump? That's that was his his great granddaddy. I think. Oh. Was, I'm like, I was named after my granddaddy who liked to wear ghost cloths around. Yeah, that's well. So this little small skirmish uh, kicks off, and uh, Nathan Bedford Forrest is on his pony and out kind of alone when the Union soldiers realize that he's alone, and they start yelling, shoot him! Shoot him and his horse! Like, I mean, come I on. Cut the the horse, horse? Is the horse racist? Like, was a horse wearing a hood? Like, how do you know the horse is bad? I mean, I guess maybe um, so we can't get away, but come on. The horse had nothing to do with it. One, one Union soldier actually gets up point blank to him and puts the gun up into his hip and pulls the trigger and shoots a, shoots knife in bed for force in the hip. In the Damn hip? Near, point In blank? the hip. Damn near paralyzing him because it, it goes all really close to his spine. But but Nathan Bedford Force, he's able to maintain on his horse and ride away and not die. So thank you, Union soldier, for not, you know, shooting him in the head. He's I mean, a couple blank. of things. A, a, a couple of things here. First off, yeah, if you're going to shoot someone point blank, why the hip? <laughs> uh, what are you doing there? And then Although, to be off, fair, if, could you if, imagine the pain of, that. of riding a horse after being shot, shot in, the in the hip? Yeah, that's not comfortable. Although I will tell you, if anybody decides to to shoot me point blank, could you please shoot me in the hip so I can get a free get hip a replacement? One. Yeah, get a new one. one. <laughs> you would be doing me a favor at, at this point. Um, what you need to do is you just need to have an accidental discharge when you're you know pulling out your six shooters yeah. or whatever and, and catch yourself. My, my but little, but use your use, like, use a small. Smaller caliber. Small. You don't want. Yeah, I don't think that this 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 isn't this isn't. You don't want this this one super. I wouldn't. (laughs) This one's gonna hurt a little bit. Uh, The uh, this this little skirmish does confirm that the Confederates have in fact done a full retreat and they're not in any position to uh, to engage the Union Union Army any more than they've already have. Um, So the aftermath, Johnny. We're up to the aftermath. Uh, We've we've done it. We've done it. It's not even a super long episode today. We've done it. Yeah. Good good work keeping it short. Um, uh, Grant is going to be vilified in union papers because, uh, he should be for right. his actions on the, uh, on the fifth. Like you didn't, you they did should nothing be... to prepare. You shouldn't have been caught off guard. You should have had defensive positions. Like, what were you thinking? Like he should have been vilified yeah, for people this. should be furious. Uh, they actually do uh, run to Lincoln and, 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 you know, demand that Grant be pulled from, you know, cause in America we're anything but very, uh, situational. He's our hero when he's oh, unconditional yeah. surrender Grant. Uh, but then because he's lazy asshole Grant who wanted to do t- gun range day, uh, we don't like him anymore. Right, yeah. I, have you watched sports in America? Like, right. uh, that's that's what it is. It, it's, it's, the, it's hero to villain um, because, no, Johnny, of, because of a field goal kicker. Like, I have been like, – I have been – I have been a proud fan of the, uh, of the Raiders – uh, my entire life, right. and only three of them have been good years. <laughs> no, and that's fine. But but the the way that you either talk about your coach or your kicker or your quarterback or whatever else depends yeah, on completely yeah. unrelated circumstances. That's true. That's true. Um, they actually call for his removal, but Lincoln famously states, "I cannot spare this man. He fights." Yeah, I mean, he's getting stuff done. Yeah, like he did get his ass kicked, but then he regrouped and. Yeah, and, and he let's stayed that, and he let, fought. Let's hear that casualty he, report. How do he do? And and he still won. So yeah. How do All right. Do? So casualty. Well, 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 before we get to casualty reports, I do I do want to say I that already um, teased it once. I I know. Uh, he did. He, he is uh, he is you know uh, 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 credited with like the the deserved criticism, but but Buell's actions are credited with the success on the second day. They really shouldn't. I mean, it was still Grant's plan. So. He should recoup some of his, you know, history, hindsight. Grant should come out even at this battle. So, so Sherman. So you wanted to take that little aside just to try to save some some face some, for your boy, like uh, your I boy like Grant. There. My, dr- my drunken, we're gonna, my drunken. Making excuses like for him, trying to give him credit that he am, wasn't given. I am. This is oh, my what a fanboy! Oh my god, oh, Sherman get is a gonna, room. 
Sherman is going to arise to the level of fame because he gets his, like, you know, dude got three horses shot out from under him and he got the balls to get on a fourth horse. I mean, that, I mean, really, though. So, yeah. And he's going to, you know, in the future go on to burn some stuff. So, oh. you know. Can't wait to hear what. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, the aftermath, Johnny. Casualty reports. Casualty reports. So out of the Union, total 63,000 engaged. 1,754 are going to be killed. 8,408 wounded. 2,885 missing, although most of those were captured by Prentice's surrendering. So it's like 12,000 total casualties. A little over. Yeah, 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 a little over. Uh, the Confederate side, out of the 40,355 they engage with, 1,728 are killed, 8,012 are wounded, and 959 captured. So minus that's the captured so and missing, they're almost it's almost a wash. Yeah, that's but, they, that, that's literally this whole this whole two day battle of people running around the woods, getting lost and dying, uh, that equated to no land gained or loss or anything else uh, cost a lot of people their lives on both sides pretty evenly. Yeah. Uh, and here's why it's uh, not really a wash, though, because um, out of those 63,000 soldiers that the Union has, they got like 63,000 more in Ohio. Yeah. So, okay. Right. And out of those 40,000, you know, that the Confederates have, um, they, that's, that's it. So, the, the, the raw, so what you're saying, the raw numbers are the same. But those percentages, but the impact when you look the at the impact whole, of those is numbers. way different. Yeah, because yeah. even even and I, I can't stress this enough. This is 1862, April of 1862. The war is just a year old. Yeah. The Confederates don't have the manpower, don't have the guns, don't have the food. At the start, right? Well, at the they, start. I mean, at this point, they're in a situation where they haven't had a chance to ramp up anything um, because they're not ramping anything up. They, no, they don't have the industry like, to ramp. Like not only not only do they not have it, they're not getting it. It's not like it's on its way. You know, wait two weeks for delivery. It's just you know we they order stuff from England. You know, they order the guns from England, but the only way those guns can come in is through basically the Mississippi River, right? Which is why the North if I those closed everything off at the yeah at the start. yeah like, if well, those uh, let's stop that yeah if the that's if those English merchant ships can like get through the blockade disguise themselves they, or whatever they don't get, through, get yeah. they don't all get through the blockade so um yep spoiler alert go it's a it. war in a war of attrition you don't want to be the dirty rebels that's it for this week in historic hindsight thanks for listening be sure to subscribe rate and review and join us next week when we talk about canadian cults